Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Of all the people that I love to study in the Bible, and if you've heard me speak before, who do I always really, really like to talk about? David, right? King David, I love talking about King David. And it's probably because uh, he's so intriguing to me because he was a man after God's own heart, but yet he was also a mess. You know, it's like how we go through deliverance. Like, well, we're, we need God. We're, we're a mess and we love you. But, but God, you know, we know that we're struggling and we know that we've had our failures and we've had our mess ups. And this is David. He's a guy that we can relate to. He was a great man, but he had his shortcomings. And we all know the story of David and Bathsheba. In fact, David was probably known as much for his fall with Bathsheba as his triumph uh, with Goliath. But he also experienced another failure that if left unchecked would have been even more devastating than his failure with Bathsheba. And his failure with Bathsheba really had adultery in it. It had uh, illegitimacy in it. It had murder in it. And so the thing that could take David out and be more devastating than even those things was the sin of pride. And there is a spirit of pride. And a spirit of pride will come after you. It definitely, especially after you go through deliverance, pride wants to take you out. And David starts off as this humble young shepherd. But as he gets older, he gets more and more famous. He gets more and more powerful. He gets more and more, mouth, uh, more, and more health. These are the combinations that seem like it always end up a dangerous cocktail for individuals. For David, it definitely was. And we see this though in our culture, right? We, we see those that are young and they have fame thrust upon them at a very young age. And whether or not they can handle that fame, you never know. I mean, most of the time you can't. And we've had, you know, people in our lives before that had kids that were really, really talented and they, they brought them to auditions for America's Got Talent and they, they brought them, you know, to these star search type uh, um, uh, 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 searches where they have to go to a hotel and they audition and they do all these things. And, and I mean, we've literally sat down with some of these parents before and we've said, even if they make it, which is like hitting the lottery, but even if they make it, is that the life that you would want for your child? Is that the life that you would want for a young person? To have that kind of, th- that fame and that fortune thrust on them at such a young age. I mean, when David was anointed as a king, he was, he was just a boy. Now, he didn't become uh, uh, the actual king till many, many years later. But this was a guy that started off a humble shepherd, but ended up being an arrogant king. One day he decides that he's going to number his troops. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, that's not, that's not that big a deal. I mean... Every, every leader needs to know how big his army was, but it was a big deal for David because David was saying to himself, how great have I become? How, I mean, how awesome am I? Let's just see, shall we? Let's number my army. Let's see how powerful I am. So how, how does this happen? How does he go from a humble shepherd to this this, this arrogant king. And we see it in scripture and we see this incident happen in a couple of different places. In 1 Chronicles 21.1 says, the Bible says, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the Israelites. 
Now, if you read this same account in 2 Samuel 24, 1, it says, Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. In one account, the Bible says that God did it. In the other account, it says that the devil did it. So which account is right? Y'all are scared to answer, aren't you? (laughs) They're both right. They're both right because God was angry. And when he looked at the arrogance and pride of David and, and Israel, he was, it angered him. And God then removed his covering from David and Israel. Then Satan could take his shot. Now, one of the reasons why we wanted you guys to take 1.0 spiritual warfare before 2.0 is because there's going to be times where we're going to be referring to things that you learned in that first course, just kind of as common knowledge. One of which is cover and being undercover. You guys remember that teaching. You understand that teaching. And in this situation, David comes out from cover. Um, And as a result, it makes him and Israel an easy target. If you think back in that course, we watched the video where I was shooting the bow and arrow and we had the different levels of cover. Well, in this situation, David comes out from underneath uh, cover. He comes out from underneath God's protection. Now, a couple of things that we need to understand about this story. Number one is that God hates pride. God hates pride. Proverbs 6.16 says, There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, or a proud look, pride. A lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent. Pride is the seed of all rebellion to God. And you'll understand that more in just a second. God doesn't hate proud people. God hates the sin of pride. And that's the truth with any case. Everybody has their sin struggle. Everybody has their issues that they, that they um, their hot button issues, as we talked about those hot button issues in, in, in the first course. But with those hot button issues, we have to understand that the devil, that the Lord doesn't hate you because you have the hot button issue. He just hates the hot button issue. You hate that hot button issue too. Well, the Lord hates it as well. It's that look of pride that someone has when they just think that they're all that, right? They they, they think how great I am and I I, I don't need God. That's that haughty look, those haughty eyes, that proud look. James 4, 6 says, he gives us more and more strength to stand against such evil desires as the scriptures say. God sets himself against the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. It's interesting when he says that scripture, it doesn't say that he sets himself against the proud that are also non-Christians. Does it? And it doesn't say there that, you know, he shows favor to the humble, but only if they're Christians too. He just distinguishes those that are prideful and those that are humble. He sets himself against those that are proud. He shows favor to those that are humble. And there's nothing more beautiful than God's favor. It's something you want in your life. Verse 7 says, So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And in a few weeks, we're going to really dissect what that means to be able to resist the devil, but not tonight. Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. Let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. 
And let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. When you bow down before the Lord and you admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. So God hates it so bad because he knows that pride rejects him and destroys people's life. It's as simple as that. And if we're walking in pride, God's going to make sure that we're not successful. But I tithe. I'm a Christian. Okay, so it doesn't say that God isn't going to protect some of your stuff. But what it does say is that, you know, he's not going to necessarily make you really successful. Now you think, well, that's, that's not really fair. And it's not because that God doesn't love you. Because it's just because he hates pride. And he doesn't want to ruin you with success because you won't be able to handle the success when it comes. See, that's what happens in David's life. God will never bless us when we're walking in pride. It says he's going to set himself against you. He's not going to help you destroy yourself. So God is a jealous God. We know that. We've heard that scripture before and we think, well, how in the world can jealousy be good? Well, this is the only type of good jealousy. God is jealous for you. That means he loves you so much that he does not want to share you with anything else. And he knows the devastating effects pride can have in your life. Scripture says that if we're walking in humility, he'll give us anything we need, not anything we want, but anything we need. And that is an incredible gift. If we'll just walk in humility. And we're going to talk about some ways that we can do that in a second. So that's one of the first things we need to understand from the story. The second thing we need to understand is that it is Satan's open door to our lives. Man, pride is Satan's open door to our lives. Now, if you'll remember, we talked about five open doors in 1.0. Right? If you have a demon, which we all had demons of some kind, and when you went through deliverance, you might have been surprised about how many demons you had, right? You're like, are you kidding me? We got to keep going? I'm on hour six here. Are you really? <laughs> I'm tired of coughing and choking and all that stuff. I got to be done, right? I'm done. Sometimes we're never done. But within that time period, you should have probably dis discovered where did that demon come from? From what door did it enter? And we talked about the fact that there was a door of unforgiveness, a door of disobedience, a door of generational curses, a door of word curses, a door of vows. Uh, there's also a doors of, uh, of emotional trauma that those are all avenues that the evil one can come in. Now, if you've gone through deliverance and you feel like, hey, there's something else on me or something else has come back on me, then you need to go back and you need to look at those doors again. Now, most likely if you had a generational curse, you actually dealt with that. But most of the time, if we see somebody that is slipping back into some really heavy demonic activity that they, they just, they need help with, demonic strongholds they need help with, a lot of times it comes through unforgiveness, so you've picked up an offense, or you re-picked up the offense that you forgave. And sometimes you're in a deliverance session for an hour just trying to forgive one person. And it's very easy for that unforgiveness to come back on you. Even though you've forgiven it once, you've got to re-forgive it. With David's case, it was disobedience. So he came out from underneath God's cover. And he came out from underneath God's cover. And as a result of that, pride was the open door in his life. So... If you feel yourself slipping, you got to evaluate yourself. You know, do, do I have, has somebody spoke some word curses over me? Have I taken a vow? Oh, we got to ask ourselves that question. 
Now remember, a vow is any time you stand in judgment of somebody else and you say, I will never treat my kids like they do, or I will never handle my money the way they do. So we stand in judgment, we make a vow, and then that vow ties us to that particular, uh, that particular activity that we say that we'll never do. But on top of that, pride is a huge open door in our life. The Bible says, uh, specifically, specifically in those scriptures, that Satan rose up. So what it says, Satan rose up. Now, let me give you a picture of this. I don't know if you ever watched the Discovery Channel. I love the Discovery Channel, and they do a lot of those animal shows, and they go to Africa, and they show lions that are hunting their prey. And the way a lion will hunt its prey is it will, it will lay down in the grass. Right? You've seen this video before. And they'll creep in the grass, and they're on, the, on their bellies, and they wait for the right time. And when they see the right time, they raise up. That's exactly how the devil will attack us. Um, they, they will raise up and go after the prey. And when David came out from underneath cover, that's the devil's opportunity to raise up. So you have demons that are around you that are crouched in the grass and they are waiting for their opportunity to raise up. They're waiting for their opportunity for you to allow one of those open doors to come back into your life or for pride to come back in your life because when they do, that's their opportunity. He's not, they're not gonna nail you when you're strong. They're not gonna, come, they're not gonna raise up against you, man, in a, when you're just like totally worshiping, worshiping your face off before the Lord and you just, man, you're just having this great triumph. They're not gonna raise up against you then. They're gonna raise up against you when you're the most susceptible. He goes around like a roaring lion, seeing who he might devour. The devil is always looking for an opportunity to attack us, and he will take every opportunity that we give him. Did you catch that? Every opportunity we give him, he's going to pronounce. As long as David was humble, he was safe. So there's safety in humility. The Bible says to submit to God first, Resist the devil and he will flee. If we are submitting to God, we are safe. So if there's ever a time in our life where we feel like the devil's really attacking us, we need to ask ourselves, am I humble? Am I really being humble in this situation or am I being prideful? Is it about me? Is it about what I want? Is it about what I need? Is it about me being heard? Is it, what is it? Because in those situations, the lion is in the grass and he's watching you. And those demons, especially remember we talked about familiar spirits, they have been following you around and your family around for so long. They know every tendency. I think that that's why scripture talks about that haughty eyes as a look. That demon can look at your face. You don't even have to say anything and he can tell if you're arrogant. He can tell if you're prideful. And when you get prideful, he raises up. And the best way you can get him to, to settle down and to sit back down is to be humble. There's power in humility. That, that makes no sense. No sense. But there's power in humility. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with the humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So according to scripture, we should be putting on clothing of humility every day, just like we put on God's armor. Now, I hope 
that after you went through the first spiritual warfare series and you listened to all that teaching and you went through deliverance, I hope that every day you are putting on God's armor. I I hope so. Because if you're not, then you're going to get pounced on. He's just waiting, right? He's in the grass. He come out of your house and you're not dressed. He goes, moron, right? You idiot. You know better. Put your clothes on before you go to battle. Put your armor on before you go to battle. But this not only says put your armor on, it also says clothe yourself in humility. So, man, I'm telling you, every day, not only am I putting on that armor, but then I'm like, God, I pray that you would just clothe me with your humility. Please don't ask God to humble you. Seriously, don't ask God to humble you. Ask that God would clothe you with humility. Man, it's like this safety blanket that you can put over yourself. Verse six, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. We're all in it together, guys. He's, he, those demons, they're all crouched, crouched in the grass. They're coming after all of us. We're all in the same fight. So if we're putting on our armor and we're asking God to clothe us with that humility, we're going to have a certain amount of protection upon us that we won't have if we don't do those things. One version of this verse says, looking for someone he may devour, not can devour. There's a difference. This shows that Satan can only devour you if you give him an opening to do so. The best way you stay under God's cover is stay humble. He's looking for who he may not can. Now, here's the big question. Well, first of all, understand this. Humility is a double blessing. It's a double blessing because we're under God's protection and blessing, and then the devil can't mess with us. So you're not only protected, but the devil can't mess with you. So it's a double blessing. And as a result of David's pride and him not being under God's cover, it cost 70,000 men their lives. Man, that's how dangerous pride can be. So here's the big question. How much can God bless us and we won't use it against him? Because God's desire to find is, is to find someone he can bless and, and that won't use it against him. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now you see, most people use God's blessings against him. David did. David totally did. Every man in his army was a blessing. Everything he had was a blessing that came from the Lord because before this, he was just a shepherd boy. Now, let me give you a modern day example of this, of people using God's blessing against him. First of all, pretty people. Pretty people do it all the time. 
being beautiful, being handsome, being good looking, being pretty is a blessing. And some people that are extremely attractive use that blessing against the Lord. See it all the time. If you look at Hollywood today, it's filled with beautiful, prideful people that use what God is giving them for selfish means. I heard a a lady, uh, it was actually just within the last month, and she's 85 years old, and she's just this, just this book of knowledge when it comes to just spiritual truths. And, and she saw this lady who was, she was probably in her 40s or 50s, um, but was, she's really pretty. And they're in this conversation, and she looked at her, and she goes, do you ever thank God for how pretty you are? And the girl's like kind of taken aback, and she's like, uh, well, no. And she goes, you should, because that's a gift. And that's one gift like you didn't do anything for. <laughs> right? I mean, that is a God. Looks, how you look, that is a God-given gift. Now, of course, can you let your body go and gain weight and you know, not take care of the temple? Sure, you can do all of those things. But if you are pretty, that is a gift. And you should use it for the Lord. And you might think, well, how would I use that for the Lord? If you are pretty or if you are attractive, know that you have, an amount, you have a certain amount of favor in your life with other people that ugly people don't have. <laughs> it's true. And you can use your looks to influence people for the Lord. You can. Let's take an example of this. Okay, somebody comes down to you and or it, it, maybe it could be in a prayer service. It could be working with kids. It could be because understand this. Kids are attracted to beauty and you will have more influence with kids if you are pretty than if you are ugly. Now, if you are physically unattractive, maybe to that child, you can win them over with your personality, but not at first. I'm just speaking the truth. That's why you had to take 1.0 first. <laughs> you can use your looks for favor for the Lord, you can, for influence. Uh, studies show if you are attractive, you automatically have more influence with people at first than somebody that is unattractive. That's just the way it is. It's our culture. That's the way it is. So use that. Use that. Use that to be a witness to others. Use that to, to have influence with others. Use that to, uh, you know, the, the, we, we always pray like, you know, God, I pray that you would expand my territory of influence. That was a prayer in the Bible. And what that means is that you would take the influence I have and use it for use, Lord God, somehow, some way. And being pretty is a gift. Here's another way it's used against him. Being brilliant, being really smart. I would know nothing about this. <laughs> But most truly brilliant people use that gift against God. Have you ever noticed that? Brilliant scientists throughout the years have tried to explain away the existence of God and how God created the world. So that it's a gift. Once again, it's brilliance. It's God-given, and it's used against him. Musicians and talented musicians. I see it all the time. People that can sing, people that can play the guitar. Man, they, they want to make it big. They want to they be on American Idol, and, but they would never sing in a praise team in a church. But that's a gift too. 
So those gifts, those talents, those fav- that favor, are you using it for God or are you using it for yourself? Are you using it to make a buck? Could you imagine where our society would be if all of the talented, gifted people were using those talents and gifts for God? Could you imagine? Oh, man, this world would be so different. So different. Ezekiel 28, 12, and this is just a, the account of what happened to Lucifer in heaven and how God just uses adjectives to to explain how beautiful he was and what an incredible creation was. He says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Okay, so he's beautiful, he's smart, he's just everything. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, and he goes through all these beautiful stones. Your setting and mounting were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. So he was... He's a guardian angel. So he's like, there's God, and then there was Lucifer. Like, Lucifer was number two in heaven when it came to, came to the, the flow chart. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till, till wickedness found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Lucifer was the wisest. He was the most beautiful. And God gave him all of those things. And Satan used those things against God. Satan was so beautiful. Now understand this. Heaven is amazing. Where the, where the angels get to go and, and, and where, the, where God's presence is, it's like something that we can't even imagine yet. But Satan was so beautiful. He was so brilliant. And he was so convincing that he took a third of the angels with him away from God. That's how beautiful he was. That's how smart and brilliant he was, was to be able to pull a third of the angels from the heavens to where they are now as demons. David wakes up one morning. He hears this voice in his head. Wow, you're, you're really something. Look at all you've done. Now let's count it and see how great you are. You're rich. You're powerful. You have all the beautiful women you could ever want. You have it all. In fact, let's just see how much you really have. One of the greatest challenges in America is to be as blessed as we are and stay hungry for God. Now from this story, we have to ask ourselves this question. We have to ask ourselves, what is our prayer life like? And the reason we have to ask this question is because prayer is humility and prayerlessness is pride. Now, now I want you to hear me on this because I think that because of our legalistic minds and the fact that most um, humans just bathe themselves in guilt, in guilt and shame, when we start thinking, I've got to evaluate my prayer life, I've, we automatically go, how much time am I spending in prayer? 
I'm not talking about how much time you spend in prayer because there are a lot of people in the Bible that got in trouble for bragging about how much they prayed. So what is that? That's pride. (laughs) So you can be prideful about your prayer life. I'm talking about how intimate is your conversation with God? How truthful are you with him? How transparent are you with him? Like, do you just, man, do you bear it all? Because that's what he wants. It was just this week, I was just struggling with something in my head and some stuff that was going on. And I was like, I wish I could fix this. I wish I could figure it out. I wish I could make this better. And God was like, you can't make it better. And you haven't even talked to me about it. What do you expect? And so I just got alone and I'm like, okay, God, I'm not going to ask you for what I want in this situation. I'm just going to tell you how I feel. I'm just going to tell you like how ticked off I am right now at what's going on. How much this person has broken my heart. How, how I think what they're doing is so wrong how upset I am with them and of, of all the people that they've hurt. And so started bearing my soul. I just started being real with God. I just started being transparent with him. And it was amazing the amount of peace that came over me. It's like God was going, see, all you had to do was talk to me. You know, you need, sometimes you just need to tell on that person, right? Tell on that person that's hurt you to God. You've heard that before. That's intimacy. That's transparency. And you know what? That didn't take a half an hour. That took like 10 minutes. But it totally changed my perspective on the situation. And it made my intimacy level with the, with the Lord go up. Now, he knew all the stuff I was feeling. He knew all the stuff I was going through. But he still wants you to talk to him about it not through a prayer list. Prayer lists are good and we need to make sure that we're always praying for people. But guys, God already heard number four on your prayer list for the last 365 days. He wants your heart. He wants to know how number four makes you feel. He wants to know how number four is affecting you. See, I think for David to fall the way that he did, his intimacy level with God wasn't there. His prayer life in his mind might have been good in his mind, but he wasn't being real with God anymore. So there's an old saying that says, a day without prayer is a boast against God. This is basically saying, you know, when you're praying, you're saying, God, I need you. When you're praying, you're saying, God, I want to be in your presence. When you're not praying, you're saying, God, I don't need you, and I don't want to be in your presence. You know, and as Christians, we can go through these cycles where something really, really bad happens, and then we cry out to God. 
and our intimacy level with him is really good. And then we get comfortable and things are kind of even and out in our life. And then maybe we stop serving. Maybe we stop going to church and maybe we just kind of start slipping in our, in our devotional life with God. And then something bad happens again. And then, okay, now we're back. It would be really good if bad things in our lives didn't have to happen for us to be close to God. Sometimes I pray that prayer, Lord, help me to be close to you, but help something not to have to happen bad for that to be true. And humility and being humble, man, that just makes a huge difference when it comes to being able to do that. Our attitude as Christian needs to be, God, can you give me anything and I'll, you can give me anything and I will not use it against you. Now, here's the thing with pride. We all struggle with it. Okay, we all struggle with it. And this is how it's going to affect you depending on your personality type. And you know what? You might want to stop the pad because I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm doing a rabbit trail and uh, they're going to get tired of hearing that pad in a little bit. You know, stay right there though because I might want you. No, you can sit down. I'm okay with you sitting down. <laughs> you held it. So depending on your personality type, are you, uh, uh, so I asked them actually to come up and then God told me a bunch of stuff and I added it to the end of the message. And so that's my bad. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, how many of you are sanguines? Sanguines in your personality profile, sanguines. Okay. How many of you are uh, clerics? How many of you are melancholies? How many of you are phlegmatics? Okay. Big mix in the room. So this is how pride is going to manifest in your life with these different personality types. I'm going to tell you, okay? And I'm going to make you stand up. If you're a sanguine, you're going to struggle with pride with your talents. Because usually sanguines, they might be musical. They might be able to craft an art of speaking. They might be artful as far as they can draw or they can paint or they can sculpt. They might have really good people skills just because, you know, they're just people, people, man. They're extroverts. And so if the devil's going to hit you with pride, he's going to hit you in one of those areas. He's going to make you arrogant in one of those areas. If you're a cleric, he's going to make you prideful in your leadership ability or how strong you are. If you're melancholy, he's going to make you prideful in how you do things and the fact that when you do things, you do things right. And, right? and, and he's going to make you prideful in the fact that you're in control, right? I, I've got this. I'm in control. I don't need any help. And then if you're a phlegmatic, and the phlegmatics are going to be, from a personality standpoint, will have the least issue with pride, but yet they can still struggle with it because pride, they will be prideful in how laid back they are. <laughs> they will be laid back in how... Non- Why can't everybody just be as non-stressed as I am? Why does there always have to be drama? I don't ever bring drama, right? That's a, that's a form of pride. So we will all struggle... And, and those are going to be some common ways that we may struggle with our personality types. But here's some characteristics of someone that can really struggle with pride. Okay, number one, you were told and taught as a child you should be independent and never rely on anyone. If you were raised that way, you have a tendency or will have a tendency to struggle with pride. Number two, if you're insecure, you can, over, you can struggle with pride because you will want to overcompensate for your insecurity. So you want to come off 
like you really have it un un under better control than you really do. Number three, if your talent is greater than your character. See, that's why so many people fail when they get fame thrust upon them when they're young because they have, don't have the character to support the talent. And number four, you're just immature. Immaturity can breed pride. So I think that we can all say, because here's, here's the ugly thing about pride, none of us think we're prideful. <laughs> we can't be prideful. Pride always hides. It always is in, it, it's covert. It always functions underneath the surface, the surface, and it always wants to make you think that you don't have it. I guarantee you that Lucifer didn't think he was arrogant. Lucifer didn't think he was prideful. Lucifer actually believed that he could be greater than God. If Lucifer was sitting in this, this, this service right now and it was before his fall, he wouldn't have said, yep, it's me, I'm prideful. He wouldn't have seen it. So if we can all admit and we can all say, it could be me, I can struggle with pride, what I want us to do tonight, I want everybody to stand up. Now I can have, give me that pad, Julie. <laughs> And if you turn, uh, if you turn the, the fluorescence off, so the the way the pride hides is it hides behind a veil of deception. So the first thing I want us to do tonight is I just want us to ask God to remove the veil of deception in our life. Anything that we are not seeing the truth in. So just do that right now in your, and just in your prayer time with God. Just ask him to remove the veil of deception. In fact, just repeat after me in Jesus' name. I ask you now remove the veil of deception from my eyes, from my senses, and loosen me truth. Now I want you to just ask God to reveal to you anything in your life
us in this room, we were raised to be independent. We didn't need anybody. So what I want us to do is ask for forgiveness. Let me just lead you with that. Lord, I ask right now that you would forgive me for having the attitude of independence and self-sufficiency.
and that reliance is my strength. And I feel like we need to pray that God would forgive us if we've ever used any of the blessings that he's given us against him.
want us to end tonight with this final worship song. Because when we worship God, we're showing Him worth. We're showing Him that He's greater than us. We're, we're showing Him that we love Him. We're showing Him that we want to be intimate in our relationship with Him. And in worship, man, there's nothing more humble. There's nothing that, that shows more humility than when we worship our Savior. Let's do that. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, you can do that right now. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me if you haven't already done so. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And thank you God for that fact. I ask that you now be my savior to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer for any reason, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or on the web at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.